0: Discontent and envy go together like gas and a match. Both are dangerous, and when combined, they are deadly. Discontent happens when we are not satisfied with the life that we have. But discontent is not always a bad thing. For example, a married couple may feel discontent about the condition of their marriage, which compels them to work wholeheartedly on their friendship That kind of discontent happens when we compare how our life is in its comparison to what it could be if we walked in obedience to God in the fullness of what he has for us. Discontent is always a bad thing when it is accompanied by envy. Envy is what happens when we start to covet the life of someone else, a life that God has not intended for us. For example, a married couple may feel discontent and envy about the condition of their marriage, which compels them to start comparing their spouse to other people they would rather be with. This can lead them toward emotional or physical adultery, which can lead slowly to a divorce. Every day we are bombarded with advertising seeking to make us discontented enough to spend our money. Every day we are bombarded with social media where people share with us everything from their house they live in to the clothes they buy, car they drive, food they eat. King Solomon had everything he wanted and he envied no one, yet even he was discontented. And in this we find that wealth externally does not bring peace internally. We live in an age when prosperity is seen as always a good thing and a blessing from God. But conversely, adversity is often seen as a bad thing and possibly even a cursing from God. But Ecclesiastes painfully and continually reminds us prosperity is not always a good thing. And adversity is not always a bad thing. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 6. I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on men. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing his heart desires. But God does not enable him to enjoy them. And a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. How many miserable celebrities are there far above us on the ladder of success? We follow them on social media, hear about them on tabloid television, talk about them, obsess over them, imitate them. And then we hear that they're getting a divorce or entering rehab or depressed or even taking their own life. It makes you wonder if being a normal person, living a normal life with some normal friends would be a better option than an abnormal life that is crushing. Have you ever stopped to ponder who might be at your funeral? It's a bit of a morbid thought, but it can be clarifying. After all that is your life, who will even care enough that you are gone to show up for an hour to honor your life? That's the question that Solomon asks in chapter 6, Verse 3 to 6, a man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man even if he lives a thousand years, twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place? Yes, sometimes we find ourselves in dark places where life seems like more trouble than it's worth. If we stay in that kind of dark place, we move from cynical to suicidal. But if we never ask the dark questions about whether or not life is really worth all that hassle... We're probably living a shallow life, absent of any meaningful reflection. Think about it the dark places that you might sometimes find yourself in. When you stop working hard at your job for long enough to pull back and ask whether or not continuing to press forward is even worth it. And the same goes for your marriage, health, kids, friends, family, even church involvement. We tend to be driven by a concern for our family, our reputation, joy, legacy. But what if no matter how hard we try, those things never come together? Or what if they come together only to fall apart? Is it worth continuing to try and press forward? Or are we just being silly about the impossible? Have you ever thought, if it's impossible to put life together and keep life together, then why not just end life altogether and end the charade? This is a dangerous and dark place that Solomon has brought us to as he starts to talk about our funeral. He ventures to lead us further into darkness before showing us the way out. And the path he leads us down, that's well-worn. Many have ventured down them in vain. He's wanting us to not be fooled, but instead take the only way out of a meaningless and lost life. And that way only God can provide. The opening pages of the Bible reveal to us God worked, and created us to work. So work is a good thing and can be an act of worship for sure. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with work as a part of our life, but many things go wrong when work defines the purpose of our life. Our identity can get so wrapped up in our work that work begins to overtake our life, resulting in little to no time or energy left for anyone or anything else. Solomon says that we often... Solomon says that what often drives us to work more is the constant need to pay our bills and fill our fridge. I think that's in verse 7. All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. The problem is it seems that no matter how hard you work or how much you make, there's always a deficit and a temptation to work even more but with the same failed results. Working hard is a good thing, but does not always lead to a contented life. That is why some of the hardest working people are unhappy. Sometimes the Bible compares and contrasts the wise and the foolish. We see this in the book of Ecclesiastes all over the place. Wise people live their lives according to God's word and ways. Foolish people live their lives according to worldly wisdom. You would think that the wise people who live their lives in obedience to God would look better off than the foolish people who live in rebellion against God, but it does not always work out that way. Listen to Solomon, verse 8. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by his knowing how to conduct himself before others? Yeah, sometimes the bad guys win And the fool prospers, and the evil emerge victorious. To be sure, wisdom is better than folly, but it does not always lead to a contented life. That is why some of the smartest people are unhappy. Now, some people are winsome. The life of the party with an engaging personality and high social IQ Those people get invited to parties, elected to offices, and never lack for friends. Other people are wearisome, the party poopers with a grating personality. These people have to sneak into parties. They don't get elected to anything and think that making a group feel awkward is, in fact, friendship. Friendship. As a general rule, life is more enjoyable for people with social skills, but sometimes even their friends turn on them and crowds abandon them. It's better to have social skills than not, that's for sure. But in the end, being well-liked and networked does not always lead to a contented life. Yes, what does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? This is why some of the nicest people are unhappy. What do you make plans for? We can know what dreams we have based upon the plans we make. The Bible, particularly in places like Proverbs, speaks highly of planning. The only problem with planning is that we are always dreaming of what is next, and it can create a discontent for today. Look at verse 9. Better what the eyes see than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Yeah, we live under the myth that when we get what comes next, a season of life, spouse, children, house, income, level, job, then we will be content when we get what comes next. Either that future never comes or it comes and we remain restless and yearning for more so that we are always dreaming and discontent. This is why some of the most driven and visionary-oriented people are unhappy. Hmm. The key to becoming content on whatever rung God has us is to, to accept our destiny. Look at verse 10 and 11. Whatever exists has already been named, and what man is has been made known. No man can contend with one who is stronger than he. The more the words, the less the meaning, and how does that profit anyone? Some theologians stress the loving and gracious goodness of God. Other theologians stress the sovereign control and power of God. But the truth is God is a father who is both sovereign and loving and good. He's in charge, but not like a dictator. He's loving, but not like a jellyfish with no spine. God has a destiny set for each of us. That's your rung on the ladder of life. By thanking God for whatever rung on the ladder we find ourselves goes a long way. Rather than looking up at the person ahead of us in envy, it's a good idea to look at the person below us and be thankful for all we have. But no matter which rung you are on, we're blessed in some way. By walking in the destiny God has for us, we're free from trying to be control to have control over our lives and every circumstance and outcome. We're free to work our job, learn our lessons, enjoy our friends, make our plans, but in the end we have to surrender to his will if that ends up being different than ours, even if we fall to the bottom rung. Arguing with God is an exercise in futility, If we remember that he is good, we will trust him with our future, even if it does not look like we would have hoped. If we're honest, most of us want God to follow the script we wrote for our lives without any edits. Although if we remember that God has a view from past, present, and future, we can rest in his ultimate wisdom far more easily. Life moves fast, and before you know it, the finish line is a lot closer than the starting line. And the truth is none of us know what tomorrow holds or has any real control over our legacy after we've left this world. We think we know how to best spend our days, but God truly knows better than we. He sees the future and knows everything in detail, the beginning to the end. That's what Solomon says. Listen to these words from verse 12. For who knows what is good for a man in life during the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow? Who can tell him what will happen under the sun after he is gone? So if you really consider the options simply, either we are the master of our faith and captain of our destiny, or Satan is, or God is. And out of those three, the wisest course of action is to let God be God and be grateful that we do not have to do God's job. Of course, let's think about this concerning, what it means for our faith. Jesus is, of course, the greatest example of perfect contentment he went from the very top of the rung of the ladder the top rung in heaven seated on a throne worshiped by angels down to be laid in a feeding trough by his poor teenage mom yes jesus our savior our god worked a job swinging a hammer with his dad for 30 years He never got a wife, never had a kid, and insofar as we can tell, did not own a home, but was homeless. Yes, Jesus was content, even when he was broke, hated, despised, and homeless. Jesus was even content when he had to get betrayed by a friend and die on a cross for his enemies, We can all be very thankful for Jesus and glad he was content. A discontented Christian forgets that if if Jesus was like us, he would have never stepped off his throne. Wow. A discontented Christian. They're, they're not thinking or acting like a Christian or remembering that without Jesus' contentment in taking the cup of suffering, He kept us from eternal torment. So it is good for us as we strive for contentment in our life, we do it with the power and the motivation and the focus on Jesus, our contented Savior. Whatever rung, whatever position or place God has placed us in, in our life. So think about your life. What areas of your life are you content? What areas of your life are you discontent? And then think about your Savior and see what you can do about that. Amen.